Hello, 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 and welcome to the 52-week film project. I am Will, this is Jake. How are you doing, buddy? Hello. Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Had a this, very... is our, um, this is our second week, well, our second time doing this over Skype. It is indeed. It's, we, we've now worked out the technology that our sound quality is good. We, t- we have t- two of the same mics. <laughs> God, this is going to sound much better than last time we tried to do this. Well, fingers crossed. We, that, that, that we're was, saying what, that with what, hope. What, what film did we review? Was it You Were Never Really Here? Yes, and I think that was a really, really good episode. And it's just a shame but, about the sound quality. God, because what happened was I was trying to get my microphone to work on the laptop, and it just wouldn't. So in the end, I used the... I mean, I didn't even know I had a microphone inside my crap Lenovo laptop but it seems to be there <laughs> crackling crackling away um, so we ended up using that didn't we and it's just I think isn't there a bit you were saying earlier there's a bit where like for about three and a half minutes I'm kind of lost and you're sort of like <laughs> picking up the pieces of the conversation without really hearing what I'm saying thank goodness that you were doing a long industrial point because if you were if, if that... oh, I do love my long industrial points oh well, of course yes yes as much as I love my facts um, yeah so what have you done this week anything interesting mate uh, well, I suppose it, this weekend's been nice. Um, just went and played some golf. Obviously, went and watched the film of the week. Went and watched Meg the other night. Fantastic. Um, did it? Didn't see it in kind of BFI IMAX 3D cinema experience as we were kind of saying we were going to do. We said we were going to kind of try and see this film sort of balls to the wall, the biggest kind of cinematic experience you can. And didn't end up doing that. Maybe, maybe for the better. But we'll get into that we later into, on. In we will get into that indeed. <laughs> um, what about you? You did. What did you do? You did something really cool this week. Yes. So on Wednesday this week, I went to the Secret Cinema, which was set up in Gunnersby Park in London, and it was Romeo and Juliet. We had to go in full Romeo and Juliet um, garb. So I was what did, one, you, what did you wear? So I was in a Hawaiian shirt. I had lots of stick-on oh, yeah, tattoos. Classic. Yeah, Hawaiian shirt, oh, stick-on tattoos. Oh, you mean the Leonardo DiCaprio film? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah okay. the Leonardo DiCaprio film, not the um, Not the actual original. No. Yeah. And so then we, we had specific dance moves, specific gifts to give to the Capulets because I was a Montague. We, had, we were, as soon as we got into the event, we got sort of walked through by the, all these people um, who were like, they were live, um, actors who were interacting with us um, like they were part of the film. It was set up like a mini festival. So you had all these different buildings that were, were from the film and people driving around in cars that were in the film. And then when the film was actually on, so th- this all culminates in the film at the end. So the actors lip sync um, the film like like on a stage um, with the movie playing. And then there's like, when there's lightning, there's strobe effects. When there was fireworks for the party sequence, there's actual fireworks that happen. Um, it's inc- it was an incredible thing to watch, absolutely incredible thing to watch, um, and again instilled in me my love of cinema, and and I instilled in me again my love of cinema. It was fantastic. Oh, mate, it does it does sound amazing. I know we were, we were talking about it a while back because they did Blade Runner for a few weeks, yes. and that was meant to be really awesome. But they kind of they decked out this building in like I think it's near Victoria, and they kind of turned it into a spaceship. Um, that it sounds so cool. I really well, want to try and do it at yeah. some point. It, 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 so it was at Gunnersbury Park, which is where Lovebox is held. Yes, which means that they basically took a festival site and turned it into a film set, which is so awesome. It's a very very clever idea. I think there's about four every year, and I quite like to do an indoor version because what we found is that because it was a festival site, that you sometimes mix miss the interactive stuff like you had to be in the right place at the right time whereas yeah. in an inside in, inside area it's much easier to like actually find the people do the stuff um because yeah so that'll be f- so i think that i'd like to go and to it's another called, one it's called secret cinema it's called secret cinema and it was romeo and juliet and it just keeps on going on a loop it's very exciting yeah. you get your own invitation etc you get your character blog i was called um emmanuel big tuner <laughs> yes exactly Brilliant. Emmanuel Big Tudor it's wonderful um, yes so do you want to go into the news for this week yeah mate yeah, yeah definitely news. Um, oh that sounded your dulcet tones just filled my uh, my headphones there just getting better and better what, and better what a wonderful moment where uh, I think that's your third <laughs> that's your third time doing that now so what do we need two more times and then John's going to blend that into one <laughs> I, that will sound like a terrible mix mash but we'll work it out yeah. Oh, yeah. No, so my um first bit of news for the week is actually something I'm quite excited about. 
Um, there's finally a trailer for the new Simon Pegg and Nick Frost film, Slaughterhouse Rules. Ah, fantastic. Are you aware of that? I am aware of the film. Is it, uh, I, is, is it part of the Cornetta trilogy or is it completely separate? Uh, so so I, I don't really know. It's by them again. They haven't confirmed whether it's part of the Cornetto trilogy or not, which for those who don't know is Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz and The World's End. Um, but this one, essentially the synopsis is kind of, they, they trade zombies and aliens for demons and it's like they it's set at like a really prestigious boarding school um and it's got like some young actors in it and actresses that are like kind of building their way up in kind of like bbc productions and things like one of the young guys who's like one of the main boarding school kids is from peaky blinders ah, okay. um and a few others that you'd kind of recognize but not necessarily know what they were from um and i think the idea is simon pegg's a teacher at the, the academy or whatever and nick frost is from the looks of the trailer some kind of like uh, conspiracy theorist nut that kind of gets entwined in the story and the idea essentially is there's a fracking accident outside the presti- the prestigious school which opens a gateway to hell um that's actually it comes wonderful. out yeah mate it sounds it sounds brilliant um michael sheen's in it as well and i think he's hilarious when he does these kinds of roles uh, and it's out on october 31st it's kind of in cinemas for halloween which is great that's good. Um, That's good. I don't no word on what rating it's going to be yet. I'm hoping I'm hoping it will be a fifteen, so that it's got a little bit of bite to it. Was the world end um, a fifteen or a twelve? I, I think it was a twelve. I think that really reflected in the film because I liked I liked the world end the worst out of those movies. It like, was the least. Yeah, yeah it, was, like, it was like it was a good film until really the ending kind of spoiled it. It just turned in turned in a bit wacky, really. Yeah, it got a little bit rubbish, didn't it? it didn't tie itself up very well. No, I agree. Um, yeah, what about what about you? Uh, so this is uh, more Star Trek news. So um, very exciting. Do love it. Do love a good bit of Star Trek news on yes. the fifty-two week film project. Indeed, uh, this has been this is concerning the movie franchise, um, and it's specifically Star Trek Four. Um, now this follows up Star Trek Beyond, which was um, written by Simon Pegg, and in Star Trek Four they were going to do we, we think, and it's been rumored that they're going to do a time travel adventure that saw Chris Pine team up with his father. Um, who is played by Crimson Hemsworth in the first movie. Um, but breaking news, um, both stars I'd have dropped out um, oh, because wow. of pay disputes. So how on earth is the Star Trek series going to go on without Captain Kirk? Chris Hemsworth is less important, but, but could he be could he be recast? Like, couldn't they just like spin it off in a new direction now? Well, what they could do is a next generation reboot or sort of some description, maybe take a hundred years later. They've got the things to play with. However, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, go on. Well, I was just going to say is that that does mean that you well you can do it by the, but it does mean that Simon Pegg, who is who wrote the last film and also is quite a big part of the franchise now, he's really. Um, like really helpful in terms of the pr- production side of it would probably not not be a role in the in film playing Scotty if it went in, the, in that that route. You could repart cast Chris Pine. I just think he d- has done such a great job in all three films, um, and he and that was his. I think it was that was his role that sort of made him a mainstream star in a way. I find it interesting because I haven't watched any of them. You've not um, watched a single one of them. No, I've not watched a single one of the Star Trek films. The only one that particularly interested me was the one with Idris Elba in it, and I didn't watch that either. Um, Fair I enough. don't know. I just, I just, I, it's never like, it's never particularly fascinated me. It's never really piqued my curiosity. And like we tried, I know you're a, like a fan of it, but we tried watching that. Um, what's the st- What's the Star Trek series that's Star on Star Trek Netflix? Discovery? Yeah, so I remember watching the first episode of that review and just thinking it was a bit shit. Like it just, it was all like the the special effects were a little bit, or dare I call it out, but they were a little bit Doctor Who in the way they weren't really that <gasps> impactful. Blasphemy! No, uh, I'm, I, I, I agree with you. It's fine. But you know what I mean? It, like when special effects are kind of a sheen, and it's obvious that there was a low budget on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just kind of deterred from it for me. I didn't. It, I didn't get lost in it in the way I was kind of hoping I would. Yeah, um, I, w- I would yeah, recommend no. the first. The first one, Into Darkness, is a bit of a stretch, but the first one is really enjoyable for any type of film goer. Like J.J. Abrams does a really good job with those first two movies. Um, yeah, apparently, so the third one is where the full. I've watched the first two. I've watched the third. Apparently, the third one there is a big fall in quality, um, and okay. prestige behind the thing. But yeah, um, that's a bit sad. Um, yeah. Uh, my my next bit of news is, is is just balls to the wall crazy. It's kind of stuff that I think has kind of been discussed for a while, but there's been another new development in it. So, are you aware of the fact that there is an upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog film? No. 
Yeah, right. So there is a Sonic the Hedgehog film coming out. Now, from what I can tell, it's going to be animated with the exception of one character. So Dr. Robotnik, who is the kind of eponymous villain in the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise, the massive guy that flies around with the big ginger moustache and just looks absolutely batshit crazy. Was he also called Egghead um, as well? Uh, I don't know. Or is that maybe a different different? Maybe character? that's a different... Maybe it's a different character, but no, Dr. Anyway. Robotnik is like Sonic's arch nemesis. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to take a stab at who they've cast as Dr. Robotnik? Oh, I like this trivia. So, okay. Oh. Is it Brian Cranston? No, this is quite a good example, actually. No, think crazier. Crazier than... <laughs> is, it's not going to be it, but all I can think of is John Malkovich. You said crazy. <laughs> no, so again, not John Malkovich. That would be a really good casting, to be fair. No, it's actually Jim Carrey has been cast as oh Dr. My Robotnik. Gosh. And apparently he's going to be the only character that's actually played by an actor in the film rather than just being a voice actor to an animation, um, which is going to be bizarre. So it's basically going to be a Sonic film with Sonic animated and Tails and all of them are going to be animated characters. And Jim Carrey is going to be himself as Dr. Robotnik. How does um, that work? In, in this that? 3D universe. I don't know, but I think it will look really cool. Like if, if they've made the decision to do that, I think that they know that they've got a really cool idea behind it. I yeah, don't think I it's something. So. I don't think it's something that you would just do because. Um, but the reason it's in the news this week is because they've cast the voice of Sonic. Do you want to take a stab at who's voicing Sonic? Um, ben Whishaw. No, like he's the guy that does Paddington, right? Yes, I, that's why. That's why I. Um, no, it's actually funnily enough. Like again, same thing. Like good, good guess, but like think crazier. <laughs> um. Oh, go on, tell me. Uh, my, my, my... So the guy that's been cast as the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog is Ben Schwartz, who is Jean Ralphio from Parks and Rec. No! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, that's so great. The, the weirdest, strangest, I think the funniest character in Parks and Recreation, the Amy Poehler uh, and Ron Swanson TV. Uh, no, he's not called Ron Swanson in real life. What's he called? Uh, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman, yeah, that, that TV series um, that ran for about seven seasons. Um, you, you've got this side character called Jean Ralphio, um, who's friends with Vizzy Anzari's character in the show. And yeah, he's going to be Sonic the Hedgehog, which I that's think is a great, really, really that's awesome. That's a great casting. His voice, yeah. is, his voice is kind of cartoon-like even in that show. So that'd be well, really good to do. It's funny because I did some digging and he's actually already themed. He's already voiced two blue cartoon characters in his career. So he currently voices Dewey Duck on Disney's DuckTales and Leonardo in Nickelodeon's Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, I like when you see famous actors crop up in things, that animations and stuff. Like um, like Neil Patrick Harris plays like on rotation Nightwing and The Flash in every single yeah, yeah, DC yeah. animated thing. I just like, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you recognise voice and think, ah, okay. I can see that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's your uh, what's your next bit of film news? Um, okay, so this is uh, takes a bit of a uh, sad turn. So there's well, not a sad turn, just an, just a hard piece of in, uh, news. Uh, a, a hard piece of information. A hard piece of news. Breaking news. Um, Matthew Newton, um, who was directing a film called Eve, starring Jessica Chastain, um, has just stepped down as director. Um, so essentially, Jessica Chastain is was quite. Uh, prominent in the Me Too movement um, and also the Times Up movement, um, but has worked is is said said of Newton that he is wonderfully adept at crafting complex and relatable characters before, um, and and um, she as she's been like the film's starting to to, to build up. Um, and is it shooting currently? It's I think it's like just before pre production shooting, if that makes sense. I think she's been attached to the project for about three months. <laughs> Pre-pre-production. Pre-pre-pre-production. Um, and yes, yeah, so, however, Newton in 2010, um, his girlfriend took out, a, um, took out a lawsuit against him for punching her in the face. And then he's also been arrested for assaulting a taxi driver and a hotel clerk. He's booked himself into treatment at the Betty Ford Centre for alcohol and drug addiction and also um, has been trying to keep his bipolar disorder under control. And he's, I think that was back in the day. And then now 
uh, just because Jessica Chastain's um, involvement in Me Too and etc. There's been criticism that she should stop working with Newton. And then Newton uh, yesterday has just um, signed down for the project. Do you want me to read his statement? I mean, is it is it is it interesting or is it overly long and? Uh, well, it's, I'll, I'll say, since the announcement of this film, the responses, which are powerful and important, have not fallen on deaf ears. I am profoundly aware that I have a responsibility to lead where I've failed in the past. I can never undo the harm that I've caused the people I've cared about, and I carry their shame and responsibility with, with me every day. It's an interesting... I, I've... Yeah, like, why don't you lead... Why don't, why don't people just let him lead by example now that he's kind of back on the up and the straight and narrow? Yeah, I don't know. It's, like... I, yeah, I, hmm. I, this, this behaviour is completely unacceptable but again this is another example of a situation where um a few people get mad on the internet and lives are changed yes um i yes and in ta- in tangent to this as well um one of my friends called ewan um, who's a regular listener of the podcast has just given me some feedback and he says that um he said that he believes that we went quite um we became, we went quite soft on the james gunn controversy when we were talking about it um, now, yeah. I, now I like to clear that up and say that we—I don't think we did. I think we, um, in our podcast, we try to talk about it in a very, very un- understanding that he has done some, something wrong. Yeah, no, we that- were never—we were never going. We were never disagreeing that no. he kind of. We were never disagreeing with what he did and the fact that it was, you know, it was in poor taste. Our problems but mainly we- were launched towards the the Twitter burn the witch heresy kind of thing. Um, the fact that the fact that people can't have parts anymore and can't get better and can't um, yeah it, and are just called out for things that they did years ago and I think this is another example of this. Um, I I don't especially know- if it has especially you know I, I mean I'm, I'm not familiar with the situation and I'm not familiar with kind of what the result of this lawsuit with his wife was and everything like that. So I can't really pass judgment on this individual case. But, you know, what I would be curious to know is like how recently some of these things have been happening. Because again, if it is like eight, nine years ago and it hasn't involved anyone directly that he's working with now, then in my mind, it should have been something that was discussed by the people or the production company that were going to hire him for the certain film that he's now making. It shouldn't be something that is reviewed once this process has moved forward. I feel like there's definitely space for if there's someone like this that you're considering hiring as a director, there is absolutely conversations about past transgressions as something that needs to happen. But I think that should be part of the hiring process. I would and agree. I think... I think that should happen before we've got to this stage. Now, I'm not saying whether he... I can't even remember what you said his name was, but I'm not saying whether he uh, deserves... Michael, Michael, Matthew Newton. Matthew Newton. I'm not saying... I'm not passing judgment on whether Matthew Newton should step down or shouldn't have stepped down or should have fought it or should have just kind of gone quiet or anything like that. And, you know, I'm not passing any judgment on Jessica Chastain, but I think that this is all something that could and should have happened before bringing him onto a project. I agree. And also, I think it's you quite- don't, You know, in, in, in the same way, in the same way that potential, uh, like, companies hiring staff will look at and assess criminal records on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, it, I know it's not that straightforward because then it's like, well, how do you, you know, is it really fair to judge people on maybe things that, like supposedly happened in the past, but there was never any confirmation or legal proceeding. But I mean, if Michael Newton or Matthew Newton or whatever he's called has criminal records for assaulting a taxi driver and a lawsuit involving assault of his wife, that should be something that is just, you know, whatever production company, whether it's Warner Brothers or, you know, whoever's doing this Eve film, they should have done that a while ago. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it would be, it'd be a nice touch if, if they've done the proper vetting process, if he's, if he's um, paid his dues and done the amount of community, ser- community service or done the rehab and etc. the studio should stick up for him and say, look, we've done the vetting process. This guy is saying is not going to be a problem on set to work with, um, is not going to be put any of the cast in danger. Um, and and we think it was a good casting for a director who has a genuine vision of what to do for this film. I think it's a shame. Um, but yeah, thank you to Ewan for um, for um, 
posting in and, and talking about this because I think it was a nice, it was a nice thing we could address again. And also, um, yeah, I think I think it's a- I think it's it's going to be a continued discussion. I mean, it is a continued discussion in kind of like the 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 film world at large. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't think that we are quick to kind of condemn but i also think that we're not quick to um support people yeah and and I, think, I, I don't think i don't think anyone should be i think more than anything i just think in this current climate more time should be taken over decisions and decisions should be discussed in more detail ahead of things like ahead of getting in the way of filming yeah I agree. When, where and when they can. Obviously, mm-hmm. unfortunately, that can't always be the case. Yeah. Anyway, um, last bit of news from me. I would Actually, very briefly, I've got another side bit that I've just seen flash up on my screen. Um, you know, a few weeks back, we talked about the Uncharted uh, mini film that yes. was made by Nathan Fillion or, whatever, Fillion or whatever he's called, the American actor, who was kind of long tipped to play Nathan Drake when the Uncharted film eventually became a thing. Famed for his role in Castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that guy, it's been kind of in development hell for years and he made this really fun 15-minute short of him as Nathan Drake about a month or so ago and it was really well received by kind of fans and critics. Um, There's more information on that film now. Um, It's being directed by a guy called Sean Levy and he has confirmed that it's happening. I'm just trying to have a look to see what it is that he's done before. He's done things like Real Steel, Night at the Museum, The Internship. He's quite well known. Um, And currently, he's basically come out in the news and said that, yes, it's still going ahead. um, And we're going to start working on it after I've finished kind of looking over, like sort of overseeing Stranger Things season three. Oh, okay. that's, That's what he's doing at the moment. Um, and he's announced who is going to play Nathan Drake, and they're going to go for a younger Nathan Drake, not as kind of as old as he is in the video games, and he's going to be played by Tom Holland. Oh, wow! Yeah, which is really, really cool. Um, Tom Holland being, obviously, the uh, young British actor who plays Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man. And was Billy um, Elliot. Who, who, again, is currently filming. He's doing Spider-Man Far From Home as we speak. So I think it's a situation where they're both quite busy and shooting won't take place until kind of the end of 2019, probably for a 2020 release. But it's happening, which is really, really awesome. That is really awesome. That is really, really awesome. Um, have you got another piece of news? Was that your... Uh, I've got one more piece of news. Um, I just th- This is interesting. We have... Me and Jake both went to the University of Birmingham and the University of Birmingham has come out with a new study believing that they have found the formula for box office success. Really? Yes. So so they've analysed data from 6,147 movie scripts. Um, They have um, worked out through algorithms, etc., that the the films that make the most amount of money um, follow an emotional arc that is called the man in the hole arc. Right. um, So it's the kind of of idea that... Uh, and this, the film they used to, for this was, hang on, just looking through those, um, all about my mother. I have not seen the film, but um, it's a, it's it's the idea of um, they've got a happy, sad trajectory. You've got a person, um, mainly a mainly a male figure, but can be female. That the man is just used as a sort of genderless thing, um, where someone is put put in a bad predicament. And they have to escape it of some description. Okay, um, and that's and that's contrasting to rags to riches stories. Um, you've um, Icarus stories, but a rise followed by a fall. Uh, Cinderella, fo- a rise followed by a fall, followed by a rise, and Oedipus, a fall followed by a rise, followed by a fall. So all of these different examples. Um, yeah. So a man in the hole is is um, categorised as a fall followed by a rise. Sim- simplistically, and the God- and that's and that's the secret to box office success. Indeed. Well, I think I don't know what department of the University of Birmingham is doing this. Yeah, oh, I that's was the other say, thing. Because obviously you were in the you were in the English department. So is that someone that you kind of were lectured by? Or? Well, no, I've done film. I did film at uni- at the University of Birmingham for um, two years, and I never heard about this. But it's a UK scientists would. Um, hang on. Ah, here we go. Uh, Behavioural economics and data science at the University of Birmingham. Mm, okay, so it's kind of statistics then. It's not. Um... Yeah, it's statistics. I'm interested to see what dis- <laughs> what dissertation. I mean, we've got friends who did um, economics. Um, I wonder if that that was one of their dissertation groups. 
Yeah, that could be, couldn't it? It could definitely could be a, like a a third year project or an undergrad, like a master's type thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm, That'd be cool. interesting. That'd be interesting. Um, before we go on to uh, the Meg, the Meg, um, the Meg, uh, one final little bit I wanted to pick up with you because we haven't really chatted about it. Um, the the new stuff with the Oscars. Um, have you heard about all the stuff happening with the Oscars awards changing and the no, drama? I've not heard about this. Oh, mate. Um, so basically, the Oscars is kind of broadcast every year and it always pulls in like a big amount of viewers. But this year it dipped. Um, it was still it still got a lot of viewers, but it dipped quite dramatically. I think it's something like 12 million less viewers or something something like that. And so obviously the Academy then kind of shook in their boots and were like, fuck, fuck, fuck. How do we like get our viewership back? How do we make it interesting and engaging? And they've made some changes which have kind of pissed people off and some people are kind of satisfied with it. It's it's an interesting conversation. But basically, one of the things that they've done is they've decided they're going to streamline the Oscars to three hours, including the adverts. And some of the Oscar awards are going to be awarded during the adverts. It's going to roll through the adverts, right? Right. Um, And the ones that are going to be awarded in the adverts are going to be things like visual effects, prop design, stuff like that. You know, I think the Academy kind of, to put it bluntly, is sort of thinking the ones that people don't really care about that much unless they're actually in the industry. Um, But obviously that's massively got the backup of loads of people that work in Hollywood and just feel like they're being cut out of the Oscars. Um, Because, you know, if you're a lead prop designer and you win an Academy Award and it's not really, you know, you win yours during the adverts of the live broadcast, think of all the coverage that you're not getting. Yeah, exactly as like a you know a prestigious award winner who could possibly be scouted to do more roles by people that are watching you know um but then also they've announced a new category which is for most popular film what yeah so loads of people are kind of agreeing and disagreeing about whether this is a good idea but the 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 academy's logic is that they want a category for films that are hugely commercially successful and have done very, very well in terms of viewership and money, um, but aren't like the best picture in the Academy's eyes, right? Right. So I I think that that means that it's providing... um, They haven't confirmed whether it's going to be one of those awards where maybe the public vote for it as well. So it's like the the people's voice, even if the public don't vote. It's like it's the people's voice idea. I I think it's basically, yeah, I think it's sort of this is the film that was most popular in terms of cinema views and, and public and stuff, however it's going to be awarded. Right, because basically, The Shape of Water won this year, right? And I still really want to watch it. It looks like a tremendous film, probably is. But hardly anyone watched it. It was not in cinemas very long. And it wasn't like, there wasn't a lot of buzz around it. There was a huge critical buzz, but there wasn't a lot of viewership. So it wasn't a popular film. And so I think that they're trying to readdress that that by sort of saying, yes, well, we'll have the best picture, but we'll also have most popular film. Um, but people are, there's two arguments that I've read recently that um, pe- as to why people are a bit up in arms about it. The first one is that certain film com- production companies feel like what it's doing is actually providing a slightly lesser award for films that kind of deserve a Best Picture nomination in the public's eyes, but the Academy don't want to give them one. So an example would be Black Panther. Right, okay. So Black Panther was hugely popular. It was very, very commercially successful. It's hotly tipped to have a Best Picture nomination. But loads of people now think that what's kind of happening is Black Panther's actually being relegated to most popular film which doesn't really, in in many ways, it doesn't really have the same weight attached to it, um, rather than being given a nomination for the best picture category. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I think my I think my argument would align like that as well. Um, probably. Um, I just think that the Oscars is 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 an event that is such a 
it's the it's the elite of movies and cinema. And if whether they get it wrong or right in terms of what actually gets nominated, these films are the best pictures. But it's, you can't turn the Oscars into a Teen Choice Awards. Yeah, it's kind of becoming. Yeah, that's the that's the concern is that people are saying it's becoming a little bit golden globey by doing this and sort of pandering rather than maintaining its kind of prestige status. And also, wouldn't um, wouldn't you? I would suggest that it's not the Oscars as a format that's being problematic. I think the it's the way that the show is run and done. Maybe the hosts need, like Jimmy Kimmel, needs to have some. Um, but see, that's the thing. That's the thing is doing this and adding the popular movie category is commercialising it more. It's making it um, more interesting for more people to watch. And the idea from the Academy's eyes is no one really cared because no one was particularly interested in the films that were in the best picture category. However, if you had a bunch of films that are really well-known and really popular fighting for another prestigious award, more people are going to tune in. Yeah, I would just do. Out- um, I would the, just change that and just do outreach and make sure that the, uh, yeah. the, fil- the films are that the if, if a film is nominated for an Oscar, then the Oscar like pays a certain amount of money to keep them in cinemas and it helps them keep in cinemas so people can watch them, etc. And then that creates a more sort of a, a more sort of people friendly um, atmosphere than in, instead of just creating a new... I just think it takes away from those films that are the most... The, the winner, the first winner of the most popular film is just going to be ridiculed compared to the most popular... It's just going to be constantly compared. And if you've got someone in your... in your who likes the most popular film better than the film that won the Academy Award, people are going to go up in the street and say, well, you can't really like that film because that one only most popular. That's I just that's the kind of thing yeah, I see. Yeah, like it's not it's not really the winner, is it? Yeah. Like, yeah. The other the other interesting point that was made, where it's kind of a line of the argument, is that if we're going for most popular movie, are Bollywood films going to be included in this, because, or is it going to be solely westernised? Because you know the Bollywood market is tremendously huge, and I know we don't quite get it over here in the UK. Um, but there are films out there that we have no idea about that are more profitable and immensely more popular than the films that we think are the most popular films in the world. That's a very good argument. Yeah, which is which is really interesting. It's like you know, in most popular in terms of what, like the world in in what film market are we referring to? Or is it just our right. own westernized view of popularity? Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so it's kind of got that kind of political slant on it in a way. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll see what they say. There are some people. Mark Wahlberg likes it. <laughs> Mark oh, Wahlberg's like, "Hooray! Well, my shit films are finally going to get an Oscar." Thank goodness for Mark's <laughs> opinion. Well, I'm really happy. <laughs> Oh dear! He well, said his quote. Do you want to hear his quote? He on. actually said, "Maybe if they'd had this category before, we'd have won a couple of them. We'd have had some really. Com- we've had some really commercially successful films that we think certainly warrant certainly warranted that kind of no- um, noirity. No- is that how you say it? Noirity? Oh mate, I don't know. <laughs> we make films. It definitely isn't Mark Wahlberg that said this. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mark Wahlberg's publicist that said this we, yes. ma- we make films that we want people to enjoy and if we get those kinds of acc- accolades fantastic if not we make the movies for the audiences to enjoy I get his point I think he you know it, it, it's come as a good moment to be movie actors hasn't it it's oh. a, like a glimmer of hope of maybe I actually will get an Oscar without trying too hard and just having a good, good branding behind the film Transformers cannot no. win an Oscar mate imagine imagine oh. anyway um, I think that concludes news half an hour. <laughs> yes, I know. I looked by the clock, Jake, and I was concerned. Um, oh, no, mate, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. We we, we we covered a lot of good things to this week. I think the news is pr- proving to be a very, very popular segment on our podcast. Yeah, it is. It's good fun to talk about current things as well as the, the new films coming out as well. Indeed. Definitely. Indeed. Um, but now we can go on to The Meg. The Meg. Um, so... The latest kind of shark disaster style film. Um, you've got, I mean, it's, it's directed by John Turtletaub, who is the guy who way, way back when did Cool Runnings. What a dude. Oh, wow. Um, the yeah, original Cool Runnings. Because cool Run- there, yeah, re- there was a reboot, wasn't there? No, the original Cool Runnings. Oh, wow. Um, he's also done National Treasure 1 and 2, the classic Nick Cage capers. Um, <laughs> Sorry, knows just, where he is now. I just like the word caper. Um, and now he's gone on to the Meg, uh, Jason Statham versus a prehistoric megalodon shark, basically. Indeed. In a nutshell. 
This is based on a novel, isn't it? Um, Meg, a novel of deep terror, which was um, released in 1997. And really? Has, yes, no, as inspired. See, there's so many sequels to this, um, to the to the original novel. Do, do you want me to run, run, run you through a couple of them? God, are some of them really funny? Uh, so there's The Trench, it's just one. Brilliant. The Meg, Primal Waters. <laughs> it gets better. Meg, Hell's Aquarium. Hell's Aquarium. Yeah. Meg Origins. Like that, that's classic, classic. Meg. Yeah, it's, it's just Wolverine, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Meg Night Stalkers. Ooh, that's the one that maybe like goes into the future. Oh no, the next one goes into the future. Meg Generations. <laughs> Meg Generation S. And this has not been released yet, but it's been announced at the end of Meg Generations. Um, Meg Purgatory. Jesus. I, so these are still being written by the same guy that did the original. Indeed, yeah, they're still being written. Um and are they are they popular? Like Um, I think so. Could, do they have the chance of winning an Oscar? Oh, who, are they most popular film, who knows? It might go to the Meg. It, it, it did very well at the at the box office this week, opening weekend. So it did might it go actually? to the Yeah, that was that, that was gonna be something that I asked because I knew you'd probably know that. Yeah, facts. It was well. it was popular. Because it did have it did have a great like advertising campaign I think the posters have been really good I think the trailer the original trailer albeit again it gave way too much away um, but it was it was fun it was exciting and mm-hmm. it was like I've been looking forward to this film for a while um, my first warning sign of thinking maybe this isn't this isn't going to be shit but in a good way it's actually just going to be a bit shit um, was when I realised it's a 12A yeah and I sort of thought for a minute <sighs> is this going to do a bit of a suicide squad? Is this going to be one of those films that had the potential to be balls to the wall, crazy, really gory, um, either scary or just really, really over the top funny. Um, And 12A doesn't really give a shark film much bite. Really? How long Um, have you prepared that sentence? Oh mate, no, that just, that just kind of that was that was incredible. That was um, incredible. But no, when I saw it was a twelve A, I thought, oh, because I kind of mate up until about three or four days ago, I had it in my head that this film was a fifteen or an eighteen, and then I saw the article, which was about. Uh, do you know who was originally down to direct this film? Um, I don't know. I know the original. The original director of the Meg when they were writing the script was Eli Eli Roth, who is the guy who did the Hostel films. They kind of like the Saw movies, but it's about like backpackers that get kidnapped and then tortured. Do you want to know a fun fact about the Hostel films? Go on, mate. The first person to die in Hostel 1 or 2 is a man called Will Paxton. <laughs> really? Yeah, I got told that by someone. I was, I, I've never I've never bothered to look it up, but I just assume that's true. Um, so you've never gone to watch it to see if there's like a likeness? Well, no, because I don't want to watch myself dying. If it is, if it, if the actor <laughs> is, if the actor is Will Paxton played by Bill Paxton, that's a disaster, Jake. Oh, mate. I'd, Imagine if he was just like busy, because like, he's a traveller that gets kidnapped and killed. Isn't that the premise of the film? It's I like think rich so, people yes. pay to watch people get tortured. Um, imagine if he was just like, you know, bumbling along like you with your nice little backpack and mm, your cool yeah. sneakers. Just completely unbeknownst. Do I oh, have... Mate, that'd be, that'd I do be have, creepy, wouldn't it? If you I do have a nice backpack and nice sneakers. Um, so, you yes. Do. You do. <laughs> um, I've just found um, out a fact quickly. Um, in on. 2005, um, the, the, the project moved from... In 1997, the project was picked up. The book was written in 1997. And it was picked up by Disney the same year. Um, but they couldn't make a thing of it. Then in 2005, the project was linked to New Line Cinema... Um, and was being slated to release in summer 2006. And names attached to the project, the producer was Guillermo del Toro. Whoa, oh, that would have been so good. Imagine! The shark, the shark would have like spoken and had like a world inside its mouth. And, like, it would have been incredible. It would have been incredible. And it would have, been, it, it would have all been in German and subtitled or something really <laughs> weird. Like, pans, like, and the shark wouldn't actually have eyes, but it would have eyes on its fucking fins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, no. So, all right. So that's weird. And then obviously sort of around 2017, it was Eli Roth. And the the intention was going to be that it was going to be, you know, really scary, really gory. Um, 
And they shot loads of apparently really violent scenes for this that were they hit the cutting room floor. Apparently, when they sent it through to kind of like film classification authorities, like a rough edit of it to be like, what do we need to take out to get this down to a 12A? There's like rumors that like 25 minutes worth of footage out of like, let's say, two and a half hours that they gave them was like axed. Wow. Um, and it, again, like, see, that was the thing, like, to be, going into it, seeing it was a 12 A, I was a bit like, oh, no, this is a red flag. And then when the screen comes up and it sort of says the Meg 12A and it does that thing where it's got the film rating, it kind of explains what's in the film. It says occasional bloody moments. And I've never sat in a cinema and felt more conned in my life. Like I'm here <laughs> to watch, I'm here to watch a giant Megalodon shark like rampage through a Chinese town, like a beach town, and fight Jason Statham. I expect this to have at least a dozen bloody moments. There's not, not occasional bloody moments. I honestly can't think of many moments where it's bloody, unless it's the bloody CGI shark of, of, of some description. Or blood in the water. Or blood like, in the yeah. water, exactly. I, I, but I mean, this film had the potential to be so funny or so scary. And I don't know about you, mate, but it didn't do either for me. There no. was no sen- There was no real sense of wonder. There wasn't any moments in the film where I was like really shook by the shark. Like I was, there was no moments where I was thinking, "Fuck!" Like this is genuinely terrifying. Um, and there wasn't any mystery either, because the f- I did. You also find that the first like half an hour, forty minutes of the film moved at like a snail's pace. Oh, it was so boring. So, so boring. It just, and you don't yeah. you don't see the Meg until about 35, 40 minutes into the film. And that kind of suspense building and kind of not revealing it until a third of the way through the film would be fine if you hadn't already released shit tons of trailers and posters and adverts obviously showing you what it is. Yeah. It's not like a Jaws. It's not like a Jaws where you don't ever see the shark. That's the scariness of Jaws. It's, do you, do you, did you do you think that you don't see the shark in Jaws? I've never seen Jaws. No, mate. You, 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 <laughs> I don't like shark movies you in see, general. You see the shark in Jaws. I mate. just don't find. <laughs> I don't know who. I don't know who told you you don't see Jaws in Jaws. No, but I. But not until the very last moments. I've been told. Like yeah. you see moments of the shark. You see a fin. You see yeah, it. Yeah, right. I, I, to be honest, I'm. I'm giving you a hard time but I'm agreeing with the point you're making like yeah there's a lot more suspense in it and yeah. it, it is it is intimidating and it's kind of like not knowing where it is is scarier than it was in this film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um, um, go on well no I just I really struggle with the whole idea um, like I wanted there to be more deaths in this film I wanted them to be bloody and, I, and that's not me being a sick person I just wanted there to be more stakes and I started counting and realising that the amount of characters who don't die because they are just struck down by the shark, they die either because of their own incompetence, but more often they die because they sacrifice themselves. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry that like uh, that gives me no stakes towards the shark because no uh, because that because that suggests the shark is not intelligent enough to kill them both instead it's, uh, kill two people. It just kills the one person that sacrifices himself. And it just, it just, that was one of my main problems with the film. Is they just really didn't feel like there was any any stakes. And the comedy, was, Jake, as well. Oh, it's so bad. There was the moment in the film where I concluded early on that this wasn't going to be shit, but in a really funny way, it was just going to be really shit, was when the guy played, well, there's a character in the film, the billionaire guy that's funding the whole research project, um, um, out, Jack out Morris. The world station. Yeah, so he plays, Dw- he plays Dwight in The Office and he's absolutely hilarious. He's, there's no, no limits to what this guy can do. He's a comedic genius in the States. And they just gave him the worst fucking character. I think all the characters are shit in this. I think there are some really good actors. Like there's the guy from Fear the Walking Dead who's really good in that, but really crap in this. Ruby Rose, who's obviously just been cast as the new Batwoman, which is something we didn't talk about on oh, Movie News. Oh, that's Ruby Rose, yes. Yeah, that's Ruby Rose. She's really good in Orange is the New Black. She'll be really good as Batwoman. She's also the host She's... of Australia's Next Top Model. Did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, her character was piss poor. 
Um, the guy, the other guy, the the one called DJ. Who the fuck's called DJ for starters? Um, and obviously he's the one that flies the drones. That's not obvious product placement, is it? No. Um, also, but but there is he one was, use of- who, who was he? Like a B-Tech Fast and Furious character? Well, also the drones was used once and then it got destroyed. So he then spent the whole rest of the movie complaining. Yeah, it was crap. It was so bad. And he didn't have a moment where he stopped complaining and was really valiant. Oh, no, no. He complained the whole film. I thought, I was cons- I thought he was the next to go at one point because I was like, surely we're not supposed to root for this character to survive when he complains this much. But no, we were supposed to root for this character. Uh, oh, I just thought, yeah, I just thought all the characters were piss poor. And for a film about a shark, seemingly most of the film revolved around the crap character characters and their conversations. Also, like, I love... There were so many, so many times when I was like twiddling my thumbs thinking like, is this going to get back to the shark at any point? Or are you just going to carry on talking about this stuff? You know? Yep, I agree. I also, what do you think of Jason? Ah, you see, like Jason Statham's, you know, the boss. He's great. I think he's really funny. <laughs> Everything I, I see think, him and he's wonderful. Think, he's so I think good. He, he is. I think he's really, really likable, and that is one of the only saving graces of this film. He is incredibly likable, and I remember turning to my mate Jack that I watched this with last night after, like, on our way out of the cinema. I remember saying, you know something's gone wrong when you've cast Jason Statham in a shark action epic, which is seemingly could, like, could, if it's done right, could be like the highlight of Jason Statham's career. It could be a more important film in the long run for him than like the Expendables or the Transporter films. It could be like that thing that everyone talks about for years after. But you know you've gone wrong when you seemingly have ticked all the boxes and nothing really can fail in this project. And yet the best bits of this film were Jason Statham talking to a Chinese kid. Yep, definitely. Those the the conversations between him and the little girl in the film are like A, the only heartwarming bits in the plot whatsoever, and B, the only bits that actually really made me smile. Like like they oh, just the rest of it was such a mess. Yeah. Such a mess. I think that I think the rest of it. And then the big action sequence. Also, I'm going to plot spoiler. There's two Megs. There's two yeah, Megs. Like, What's that, that about? A, that, that pissed me off as well because I thought it was a bit boring all the way through. And that wasn't the kind of... That wasn't the impressive reveal that I think it could have been because they kill one of the Megs like halfway through the film and you think that's it, done and dusted. And then this other one crops up out of nowhere. And it didn't shock me because I was sat in the cinema after they killed the first one thinking, well, I've seen in the trailers, there's a whole sequence or a whole set piece in this film where the Meg arrives on like a beach resort. So like either that shark that they've got right there isn't dead or there's another one that's about to turn up. Yeah. I looked at my watch in the cinema just to check that I wasn't, um, just to check that, because I, I knew this film was about an hour and 50 minutes. I looked at my watch about an hour in once the first Meg had died and I was like, Oh, good. There's another Meg. Great. Well, well, let's get this over with. (laughs) Yeah. There were also, like, this bit really got to me. There was, like, there was one or two just terrible attempts at social commentary. Like, if you're going to be a shark film, which is already, there's a, you know, there's a group of people that would argue, kind of ecologists and people that are kind of aware, um, the perception, the public perception of sharks is that they're terrifying and scary. But in reality, in real life, they're not, they don't actually pose anywhere near as much of a threat as we think they do. And there's, you know, they're an incredibly vital part of our ecosystem. So like shark finning's a really valid and important thing for us to be trying to shut down. Yeah. But yeah, there was um, but, but there's this bit, there's this bit in the film, isn't there, where they're on a boat and they turn up at like some wreckage. And it does this really brief 30-second bit where they see these sharks in the water that have got their fins cut off and the, the group kind of talk about it. And they say, even while they're being chased by a giant fucking prehistoric shark, they're like, oh, this is awful. And it's like, oh, this is the most confused film ever. Exactly. Like, they, Have a standpoint. Like, you're, you're, you're about to be killed by the biggest shark in like living history. I, I don't care if shark finning shark finning doesn't have to exist in this universe in this film you're not going to suddenly turn anyone around in the cinema watching the meg and then go 
fuck, like that bit really struck a chord with me. I need to research this and actually see what I can do about this cause. No. Like, if you're going to be a shit shark film, just fucking own it. Yeah, I think this film was really trying to be something that was um, really, really profound. And it was try- and it was trying really hard to be a real action movie, even though it was yeah. 12A. I just felt like that. And I was like, you must be kidding me. Like, this is, you, like, yeah, I, I every everything felt so forced. All of the dialogue felt like it. Had, like I actually, I've got a. I, I read a review and the guy was saying that the dialogue kind of feels like it was passed through like five different translation teams because this film's obviously trying to hit multiple markets in the world. Mm-hmm. Large, largely, it's aiming at China as well, um, and it just felt like yeah, like the dialogue just didn't connect because they were trying to bring too many cooks into it it just wasn't funny yeah it just it just it, and and i don't even think that the age rating like so i think it should have been a 15 or 18 it should have been gorier granted but to me the humor in this didn't require a different age rating to just connect better like this could have been 10 times 100 times funnier at a 12a rating but it just wasn't like nothing landed it wasn't Oh. They also did the my one of my movie cardinal sins is when a character is about to swear and and they say oh sh and then something distracts them or some shark attacks them or something no. happens oh, and that happened God. about seven or eight times with Jason Statham trying to swear and then it was just cut off and I was like just either swear or you don't you don't need to have you don't need to like like play up to the audiences or oh, we've got swear words you don't even need to do that. You did, yeah. Like there's better, like the writing was just poor. I also, there's a character called The Wall in it. Who's that? The um, the guy who is in the pod at the beginning who needs to get rescued. He's the guy that survives. Oh, right. Yeah. He's called The Wall. He's called The Wall. Why is he called The Wall? <laughs> it's not even addressed in the film. Why is, is he called The Wall, Jake? No, there's no reason. There for is that. absolutely no it's reason. Not, it's not a critical part of the plot or anything like that. No, no, no there is no reference annoying. to it. It's really, just, it just really annoying. No, yeah, problematic. Um, Mate, you know what? You know what? I, I, I was really hoping that this was like I got my pick and mix. I was like sat down with a big bottle of Coca Cola. I was trying to do it right. This should have been a popcorn film, and it wasn't for me. It wasn't that escapist experience because I just kept getting hung up on either how crap something was or how boring something was or the lack of bite. Like, it just wasn't good enough. And dare I say it, I enjoyed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom more than this <gasps> film. I'm shook. I'm shook. Actually... Yeah, but it was better. It was better film. But I think, um, actually... There's you a know lot- what? I'm, I'm going to go... Hold on. I'm going to go one step further and say that... Do you remember the opening sequence of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom where they go back into the park and they go into the underwater tank area to I know, like, get I the know dinosaur you're about bones. To say. Yeah. And you've got the massive, like, prehistoric, uh, like, underwater dinosaur in there that, like, fucks them up with the helicopter and stuff. That is more suspenseful and more exciting in about five minutes than the Meg was in its full run. Yep. I would, I would agree with that. I think, I think a really good, good sort of um, sum up for the film is that there is a dog that is, is supposed to be brutally eaten at the end of the film and the dog survives and it's such a silly moment and it just it just like that like that whole thing suggests that look this film could have been a PG very easily and just a bad PG bad writing yeah I think to make this a PG there was maybe like two scenes lasting about 10 seconds long each that would have had to have been removed mm-hmm. and it's not like it would have really affected it that much. Yeah, because there was so little in this film anyway that was like scary. That it, oh mate, oh, oh what a bad film. Yep. Um, let's go on to critic quote awards. What would you have for your best description of this film? Um, so I, the, my best description is actually actually a positive review of the film, but but it's it speaks to what I think of the film mainly, which it's by Wendy Ide of the Observer, um, and she says. Ultimately, the film can play fast and loose with the laws of deep water biology all at once and still be carried by the jaunty charm of its lead actor. The, yeah. 
Like Jason Statham is the best part. What I take from that is that Jason Statham is by far Statham. the best part. Statham. I do it all the time. <laughs> Me and Jake had a mid midweek conversation about this film, and Jake was like, "Get the name right." So I was like, "I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I will. I will get it right in the podcast." And now, no. Um, but no, yeah, Jason Statham. 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 Um, is just is he's just doing his job. He's doing a fantastic job in it. However, the rest of the film is rubbish. Yeah, no, I do. I do agree. I think Jason Steak and Ham was the, uh, <laughs> the best bit of this film, and even he's not even that great. Like there are better films that he's in by by a mile. Um, my best description was from Robert Yanis of We've Got This Covered. Um, he said the Meg delivers the Statham versus Giant Shark battle moviegoers were promised, but does so in a way that still manages to be incredibly underwhelming. Yep, I think that... It yep. is, it's just boring, it's boring. What did you have for a most savage quote, though? Oh, there's got to be something good in here. Um, did you... Catherine Monk from Express, but it's it's not Express, it's X-Press. So I don't, don't, know, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Um, right, she said, it's a watery circus floating on Hollywood's rubber carcass and various other bits of plastic plot debris that keep washing up. We've built an industry... It goes on. We've built an industry from fun trash... The Meg is our legacy and our reckoning. A meh outing that will still make millions. God, does she want to like read her reviews on stage or something? I know, I know. It, it, uh, that dramatic reading I've does never not do heard, justice. Uh, yeah, I've never heard a film reviewer more craving a monologue than her. <laughs> um, yeah, I get that. My, my, savage, my most savage quote with the Meg came from Emily Yashida of Vulture. Uh, and it says... It is neither dumb nor smart enough to be fun and spends way too much time with its boring human characters when it could be spending it with, you know, the giant shark. <laughs> I like that. That's a good, so that's a good burn on the movie. It's um, so true, though, because like, there's not enough shark screen time. And if they were going to weigh this heavily on the actors, they should have made it more interesting also on the, their end. Also, the CGI of the shark was just terrible. Yeah, there were some moments where I thought it was good, but by and large, I thought it was bad. That didn't really bother me so much, though. Like, I, I was kind of expecting that. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't expecting there to be so much screen time of all the human characters, and I wasn't expecting that screen time to be so depressingly dull. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Do you remember, do you remember Laurie as a character? Do you remember that plot point? That Laurie Which was, one's that? Laurie was his ex-wife that he came to save, yet he also didn't talk to her for the whole film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, suddenly yeah. she was better. And oh. then suddenly when they needed an extra hand because because two people had died, she was better. Just, oh, terrible film. Um, anyway, so funniest funniest quote from me. Uh, from Matthew Lacona from the San Diego Reader. Um, oh, we do like the San Diego Reader. Well. I was going to say, I think we've mentioned the San Diego Re Reader like every second or third episode. So shout out. Holla. Um, yes. Maybe director Jean... What's his name? The director's name? Say, John Turtletaub. Turtletaub. Okay, I'll do this again. Maybe director John Turtletaub thought the barrage of pathos and yucks would distract from the fact that his star is a very big, big fish that is not very bright. Still, cool shark, bro. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. Jesus. Um, my funniest quote is from Simon Foster of Screen Space. And he said, the Meg seems destined to only find favour with snarky podcasters seeking schlocky targets for ridicule. Yes, that is us. <laughs> so he's, Simon Foster's basically called us out, mate. Oh, no. I, oh. He's, seen, he's seen the 52-week film project coming a mile away, ready to attack the Meg for all of its shiteness. And he's, uh, he's kind of pulled the rug from underneath us. Yeah, well, our, our gig's up. Our gig's up. That's it. We might as well kind of... Hang it in, mate. If I can't be scathing about the Meg, what can I do in life? I know, I know. Um, regardless of how bad this film was, there has to be a best moment. And I think we've decided that picking a best moment of the film each week, uh, each of us picking our own moment, um, would be a nice way to round it off. So do you have a best moment of the Meg or a best worst moment or just, you know, hit I me with something? I have a best moment that turned into a best worst moment. So I bridged okay, the two. On. So my best moment is when, at the beginning of the film, when um, the character of Mac, um, played by Cliff Curtis, 
and Dr. Heller um, meet uh, Jason Statham for the first time. And Statham. Jason, Statham. Ah! Oh, I'm not going to get it right. Steak and ham. I'm going to say Jason Statham. Jason Statham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he goes like, whatever you say to me, I refuse. If you beg, I refuse. I just offers them beer, etc. It's just, I just really like the acting. And then immediately I was like, yes, yes, Jason, you're doing well. That you like, I can get this. Like you're going to have to be persuaded for a while. And then literally within two minutes it's like, oh, well, I'm going immediately. <laughs> like, it was, it was like Jason's steak and ham is like, I'm uncorruptible. There's no way you're going to persuade <laughs> me to get back on a bloody boat. And then all they do is play him like, an MP3 file of some random people screaming and he's like, he raises one eyebrow and he's like, fuck it, I'm on the boat, boys. I, I looked at the phone. I think it was like on the podcast app from the MP3 as well, <laughs> like the iTunes podcast app. Like what, what is happening? Oh, it was me. probably just played them an excerpt of me and you shouting about Jurassic World. <laughs> um, in terms of best moment for me, it was just one of the only bits of action that I thought was really satisfying. And I think I kind of, sort of quietly under my breath in the cinema because I was craving kind of a release from this film and I hadn't got it for the whole kind of duration of the movie. The final bit where there's the 3D shot of Jason Statham coming out of the water and the shark coming out and Jason like sh- like jamming the arrow into the shark's eye. Um, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, it looked that was terrible, really cool. but I thought it was a really cool moment. I think I like really quietly under my breath went, yeah, fuck you in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a much better moment than the... The semi quasi pod racing sequence underwater with the two gliders, the oh, the God. yeah the Thunderball esque um like orange and bright orange and bright yellow um just terrible chase sequence. But yeah, Jason Ste- Jason steak and steak. I can't do. It. I can't even say steak and ham. Jason steak and ham. Um, putting a putting an arrow through his eye was great. Yeah, that was a good bit. That was a good bit. All right, so here we go. Um, I don't know whether this is going to be the worst reviewed film we've done. Um, what would you give it out of 10? See, I place value in the fact that I can I can see the merits in any film that's from four to seven. So I'm going to put it as a three. So you don't, there's no, there's, So what are you saying there with that then? That it's not the only redeemable thing is Jason Statham. Got it right! Yes! Yeah, yes! Nailed it! Um, the only thing... Podcast high five in three, two, one. Boom. Indeed. Um, <laughs> the only... Yeah, Jason Statham is great, um, but he's better in other movies. Like yeah. I, mean, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to give it a three as well, based Ooh. on the fact... Based on the fact that there was maybe a couple of minutes of action sequences that I thought was actually good and entertaining. Um... I thought that it was incredibly muddled. I thought Jason Statham must have known when he was doing it that it was just going to be shit. Um, and I, I can't really forgive it for like for casting so many actors and actresses that I, I genuinely like and are genuinely really talented and just wasting them. Mm-hmm. I think it was, yeah, it was. it just felt corporate. It felt like one of those films where it was like, we're doing it this way and we're not changing it anymore. And I just feel like maybe if there was more freedom for expression and um, direction from the actors and actresses and their opinions, maybe this would be a better film. I think it's another example of a Suicide Squad. What I would love to see, however, I don't think give up on the Meg. I think I'd like to see the sequel, um, Meg Hell's Aquarium, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great, yeah. With a name like incredibly, incredibly gothic, like the shark would have like eyeliner and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone would be played by Helena Bonham Carter, <laughs> including the shark. Including the shark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, oh do me. Um, so, what are we what are we going to review next week, mate? Uh, with Black Klansman, isn't it? With lots I think of K's. so. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's I think that's what's coming up next. Um, I'm very excited about that film. I think it's going to be a great film. I've, I've, I, I've I, recently I, watched the trailer again, um, and I just think it's it. I it can't not be good. In, like, I, I love I love Spike Jones. I think he's great, and um, I also love the fact that I didn't know this until yesterday actually. But it's it's based on a true story. Um, oh damn! I didn't know that either. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's um, it's it's basically a the the black cop who the premise of the film is he imperson he he kind of creates a fake white identity as a guy called Ron Stalwart, and he like gets himself into a Ku Klux Klan group um, in his local area undercover, and he used a white cop who kind of had a similar kind of voice to him to kind of act as his sort of body double. Um, and there's a, like a 10 minute documentary that you can watch about the real Ron Stalwart, the real guy, the real cop who did this, um, which I'll, I'll send, send you a link before we watch the film. It's really interesting. Uh, I think it's going to be really, really funny. I think it looks really stylish and cool. Um, and hopefully it will just be a really good film. Yep. I can't wait. And especially after reviewing the Meg, I mean, I'm in desperate need of a, of a Teen Titans go to, to lift me up again. Um, yeah, man, absolutely. I think we've had a fair, we've had a fair run of good but not great films recently. Mm-hmm. Um, even even like last week with Mission Impossible Fallout, I just, um, I just, I'm sorry, not Mission Impossible Fallout with uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. Wasp. Um, and it, right, again as well, Mission Impossible Fallout a few weeks ago, and Teen Titans was good, not perfect. Uh, it would be really nice to have another kind of stellar film, kind of like you were never really here. Um, that we can just fanboy over for a solid hour. Yeah, and I think that Black Clansman is probably that film, hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, but anyway, once again, thank you to everyone for listening. Um, if you do like what we're doing, we'd love to hear some feedback. As you mentioned, we really do take that on board. Um, we'd also, we'd love to get some reviews up there so we can kind of start climbing the ranks on iTunes and Spotify. So kind of like loved ones that we know are listening, we'll kind of get in touch with you about that. But also if you guys are out there, it really would mean the world if you just write a little review um, would really, really help us. Yeah. Um, but other than that, thank you very much, Will. Thank you very much, Jake. And we will see and you next week. We will week. see you next week. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>